Bonjour et bienvenue sur le Weird Waves podcast. Vous écoutez Taylor et c'est l'épisode 10. Hello and welcome to the Weird Waves podcast. My name is Taylor and this is episode 10. On this week's episode, we're talking to Anouk Coralore. She is a life coach, surfer, and yogi living in France. We recorded the episode while she was surfing in Sri Lanka and just a really great episode about traveling and how to kind of figure out where to go in life when you're just trying to sort out yourself and your life. And um, yeah, it's a great episode. I am sick in the episode, so I'm not 100% on it. You can probably hear the congestion in my voice, but it's still a great episode, and I really hope that you enjoy it. Sick. So... <laughs> if I I'm I'm still like puffy and sick but I'm here yeah you had a little <laughs> bit of a sickness happening. yeah yeah I feel like it's just kind of that time of year you know yeah yeah totally Are you, so you're in Canada is that right nope nope I'm in the states where about in the states are you um I'm in uh Indiana it's uh at the bottom of Lake Michigan Oh, yep. I see, I see, I see. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Any waves yeah. there? Any surf there? Yeah, good surf there. That's kind of why I started this whole thing, is uh, started surfing on the lake kind of as a fluke in between. I thought I was going to be heading to Oz after being yeah. back from New Zealand for a little bit, and then met my husband, and now we're here. So it's really cool. It's a totally different thing, but... I really like it. So what are what have you been up to? Well, we met in New Zealand, I don't know, that was like maybe seven or eight years ago. It's a little while ago. Yeah. Or less than that. I don't know. Like, yes, I think five. Oh, five years, yeah. For me, I'd time goes five. so fast. <laughs> okay, <laughs> around five years ago. And um, so I'm not originally from New Zealand. So after that, I went. Um, I went to California to uh, explore California and uh, got really into more like the wellness industry there with, you know, the yoga, meditation and um, how they connect to nature. For me, it's really part of uh, the surfing culture and I think there is a lot of that there. So, um, so yeah, so I did that for three months. Uh, started up north in San Francisco and did some Vipassana. Vipassana is um, 10 days meditation, silent meditation center. And, and I did that and then I traveled down the coast, which was awesome. Loved it. Yeah, 101 down the Pacific Coast Highway. Yes. Oh my so God. Cool. It's so gorgeous. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And then did you just keep traveling? Is that kind of how you got where you are now? Uh, not really. After California, because I had been traveling for uh, such a long time, uh, when I was 17, I left home, which is France, and I went on this big journey across the world, lived in Australia, in Bali, New Zealand, really traveled around for um, quite a lot of my 20s 
And so after California, I decided to go back to France to actually sort of ground myself, which uh, if any of your listeners have done or if you, you know, as you've been traveling, may have experienced as well, grounding yourself after being such a nomad for so long, you know, can be quite a challenging experience, which Mm -hmm. it was for me. Um, but yeah, I, I just settled in Bordeaux, which is in the southwest of France, and just started my own business there in um, uh, life coaching and guiding people emotionally and teaching yoga and meditation and really helping people connect back to themselves, which has been just incredible. So yeah, grounding myself for a little bit. And, you know, right now I'm in Sri Lanka because of course I love traveling I love surfing and I really love those experiences. So I, I keep, uh, I keep rolling around the earth a little bit. (laughs) And, um, is that in Bordeaux? Is that where you're from originally? Actually, no, I'm originally from the French Alps. So no surf there, no waves. Uh, mainly snow. It's the it's where the highest mountain in Europe is. It's absolutely incredible, and I grew up there. So yeah, it's called Chamonix. And my dad was a surfer, so he took us on holidays to the oceans, and and that's how I discovered surfing. And my sister as well surfed. And, and yeah and then just starting traveling and you know from a very young age I was like I just want to surf <laughs> yeah. yeah I directed my life around that really and how old were you when you started surfing with your dad mm, I have pictures of me maybe I was like five or in five And was it like an instant thing for you or was it something that you kind of had to build up towards loving? No, it was an instinct thing. Like I can, um, of course, I don't remember me surfing when I was five, but I can see pictures where I'm like obviously having like the biggest smile. Um, I remember though when I was, I was like in my teens, I must have been like uh, 13 or something. And I remember taking off on a bomb wave. Like it probably wasn't that big, but in my like teenager mind, it was like the the biggest wave of the set, you know, or or, of the day or whatever. And I just remember like catching that wave and having like so many good feelings, you know, and like, wow, like that was almost like cosmic, you know, and yeah, from from that moment on, I was pretty much hooked. I was like, I want to get better at this. I really want to put in the time and the effort, and and I did. And now I'm so happy to be actually uh, comfortable in the water. Uh, it's yeah, it's really awesome to be able to start these types of practices when we're young because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, do you know what I mean? Have you, when did you start surfing? It was this something that you had to build up to, or did you start yeah. when you were younger? No, I was 19 yeah. or 20, I believe. Yeah, so yeah. it's definitely, um, especially when you're, when you're starting out and you see those little groms just paddling all around you and you're like a full adult, 
and you can't even paddle around anybody without getting smashed. It's kind of humbling, but um, for me, that's why I gravitated towards surfing because I wasn't, um, I wasn't that good at it, but I felt like it was, it's kind of a, it's an individual sport and it's kind of all about yourself. And I think for me, I just found it at the time when I needed it. Um, yeah. When I was, when I was in New Zealand. So, yeah. And I'm not good at it at all, (laughs) which I teach surf lessons here on the lake. And I always, I tell people like, I'm a great surf instructor because I was a horrible student. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I totally see what you mean. I totally see what you mean. Uh, But that's nice. I didn't know that you were um, teaching, uh, you you were still teaching. That's that's awesome. Yeah, just occasionally. Yeah, wear, wear different hats. So for you, you left France at seventeen. Is that right? Yep. And what was the thing that made you want to leave? Is that was that kind of like a thing that happened in your area? Is that kind of common in France to leave, or no? Actually, it it, it really isn't. And I remember all my high school friends just really. Um, focused on their degree and and their you know future university and for me the whole year I was just so focused on I'm gonna go to Australia I'm gonna take six months off I'm just gonna go and surf in Australia I sort of felt like this was the appropriate time for me to go on such a uh, a travel so yeah I just didn't really um it's, it's not something that is so common and I think I was inspired by maybe other uh, more mature friends who had done on journeys like this and and so yeah I just just um, signed up for this um, in, in this English school in Noosa in Australia um, because you know, my parents were like, all right, we're going to send you to Australia, but you have to be in a sort of a structure, you know, you're not going to go like this, like on your own, 17, just whatever. So they signed me up for an English school. So I had to learn English every morning. And I was in a host family, which happened to be the best freaking host family ever. That's mm-hmm. so much like a good connection, you know, with the with the host family. So that's awesome. Yeah, it was such an incredible experience. I really recommend, um, you know, high school students before they get like their uni degree to just maybe take a gap year to explore the world, see different ways of living, different mindset. Uh, I feel like it's such an experience. It's just such an education that is that has a lot of value. I don't know what what your thoughts are on that, but. I yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think it's I think meeting so many uh Germans yep. in uh New Zealand and Australia, it really feels like they have a culture of doing that, taking a gap year. And I think yeah. that's so um it's a really great thing. Um because it just it opens your mind, like you said. Um and and I think it's interesting to take what you've learned and then kind of have a culture of coming back, you know. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you. Yeah, so, beautiful. Did so you did just the six months, and then you came you came back, or did you continue on traveling? So I did come back to France um, and I started, I actually started uni in France and I stayed for like four months in France and I was like, no, I don't want to be here. Like I was 18. I was like, I want to go back to Australia. Life is so much better. I want to surf. <laughs> so my parents are like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. but so I, I actually, I was 18 then and I decided to go back to Australia and do my university degree there, uh, bachelor in marketing and communication at Griffith. And yeah, it was again, really incredible experience to, to be there. Yeah. And how does that work um, when you're like an exchange student? Because yeah. in France, yeah. do they have, um, is your uni paid for in France? No. So what happened is um, I didn't do, I didn't, I didn't even do French uni. I completely exported myself to Australia and started uh, university in Australia as an international student. Okay. But I wasn't part of a French uni, and I know some of some of the people that I've met at uni they were doing an exchange, but um, yeah, not not me. So then you just pay uni, whatever Australian uni, yeah. Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, it's it's a little bit more expensive for international students than it is for Australians, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, the yeah. That's about it, really. How, how long was that program? It was three years, but for me, it took me three and a half years because I did what is called an internship, which is an option that you can have in your bachelor. And the internship was for me to go in an actual workplace to get some experience. It's usually unpaid or very poorly paid but at least you get into a little bit of a yeah like the actual place you know and I did that in Byron Bay uh, at a, a company that's called yeah tell me I said um, amazing Byron yes I was so lucky it was a, it, it's it's a company that does um electronics and headphones and and they're really like into the self surf culture so I found it super cool you know and I mean if you've ever been working in Australia it's like the um, your bosses all my bosses that have been working uh for in Australia have been amazing just good vibe not treating me as um under them but as someone they support and really cherish and you know they've been fun and and yeah so that internship was really really incredible um but I also didn't feel like I wanted to pursue in a marketing role so I'm not sure if I'm going a little bit off track of that question but should I keep keep rolling with where I'm going? No, just, just keep, keep going. Keep going. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So after a little while in that internship, I was like, oh, all right, that's interesting. You know, I'm not finding as much pleasure doing that work as 
I thought I would. And so after my bachelor ended, so after the internship, you know, I sort of had the choice to uh, keep doing this sort of career in marketing and communication, which was in line with my um, uh, studies or... Um, or I also had the choice to say, you know what, it's not really what I want to do and maybe I'm not ready to get into that workplace yet or like a serious job, if you know what I mean, like something yeah. that is like, yeah. So for me, I definitely didn't feel ready. And at that time, I'm 21, I'm in Australia and I decide that I'm going to keep traveling, keep, uh, keep traveling and surf and found out who I really am, not what I think I am because, you know, I've always thought that it would work in marketing. Does that make sense? Have you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how, how old are you at this point? Like 22, 23? Yeah, I, um, just 21. 21, 20. Okay. Yeah. So, and that was the best decision that I made because I think I really, it was that moment, you know, it's like, like, it feels like when you're making some of those choices, sometimes in your life, it feels like those big choices, those big, big decisions that are really going to impact your future. You know, are you going to start university? Are you going to get married? Are you going to have a kid? Are you going to just quit or divorce? Like, it's just those big things. And especially when you're 21, you're like, oh, oh my God, what am I doing? And so at 21, I made the decision to stop pursuing the career that I thought would make me happy and to take that other path, which was travel and serve the world. And yeah, best decision. What was it about marketing that you felt like didn't suit you? Or was it just kind of the career mind instead? Yeah, or was it marketing specifically? It's a very, very good question because actually, and weirdly enough, today my main job is doing communication and a lot of marketing and I love it. But I think at that time, I think there's a little bit of timing in life as well. And at that time, I'm not, uh, I don't, I don't really know me. And so I think I needed more to mature more to understand more who I am before, um, yeah, I just, I just, it was, just wasn't my path at that moment, really. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, and it does make sense. Yeah, it's something that I've found in, in many different areas of my life. Sometimes there's no real reason. Uh, the path looks attractive you know, or the opportunity looks like it's always what you've been wanting, you know, but it doesn't really actually feels right. And um, I think staying into the intuition and the feeling that maybe it's just not the right choice for our expansion is something that I'm very careful of and how I navigate my own life. And how did your um, parents take it when you decided to um, kind of leave uni and kind of, and go on your own? Do you have parents that were like more traditional, like you have to go to school and get a job? Or do you have parents that are a little bit more open? How was that with your family? 
Yeah, thank you so much. Such a good question. Um, because I think a lot of people are also scared to make their own choice or what they feel is right for them because they're scared of, you know, what am I, my parents going to think or... And so for me, I'm very, very blessed that my parents are actually, um, they would love me no matter what, mm -hmm. you know, I think just to really sum it up. Um, and, and they're not, they're not traditional per se. Uh, I think just to the fact that they've, well, they're well-traveled and that their surfers makes them people that are uh, open to different ways of living and also to uh, their own um, their you know maybe their own path like to do something different so so I, w I have to say I still was a little bit scared to tell them because my it's actually my parents who paid for my university uh, so you know you're like oh yeah <laughs> you have that pressure you know to make something of it but for me, what was also um, clear is that the decision sort of, it, the decision was clear for me. The, the, um, it was the path that I wanted to make and so, to, to take. And so um, when I announced the news to my parents, I didn't really ask them permission. I didn't leave them the choice to say, don't do it, you know, this was what I was doing and whether or not I was going to have their blessings, um, I was going to go on that journey anyway. And funny enough, it was actually my dad's biggest dream when he was my age to do this. And he didn't because he had my sister and I when he was quite young and so he had to get a job. So he was actually very um, supportive and yeah, as I said, m my parents would love me no matter what. So I think that's amazing. But also, and I think it's so sad when parents let down their own kids because their kids say, you know what? This is the life that I want to live. This is the life that actually makes me happy. And the parents, because they might be so set in their belief of what success and, mm -hmm. and maybe happiness should be like, they tend to turn their back on their own child which is the most horrible thing you can do you know and so yeah just really sending some love and courage and sympathy for everyone who's had to go on that journey so you were traveling and how long after you decided you wanted to I guess not pursue the career the tra more traditional we'll say career path um, did you, how long were you traveling for at that point? So I had been in Australia. I'm just finishing my degree. I'm 21 years old and I want to, mm -hmm. I want to, uh, you know, keep, keep traveling after Australia. I decided that it's not going to be my set point. I'm not going to settle in that, in that, in that job, you know, I'm going to keep the adventure going. And so I it's, I still have six months on my visa in Australia, and I decide that I'm going to make $10,000 to go and pursue my dream of traveling. 
So I, I remember like printing my resume and like going down the streets of Byron Bay thinking, all right, what kind of job am I going to get? And, you know, hospitality for me has always been like a, a little bit of a comfort zone of a job. But for my last six months in Australia, I really didn't want to experience that kind of a job. So I checked out the other options and the other options for me was to do surf coaching which I had been doing a little bit, but I could just, you know, add more volume on that and really make more money. So that's what I did. I, I became a head coach and just really, really uh, put my heart and soul into that and made good money. And within those six months, I actually didn't make the 10,000 euros, uh, dollars, sorry, because I broke my arm surfing Oh my yeah, God. it was a big rescue mission. I broke my arm surfing when I was at the path, the past in Barn Bay. It's like um, the the main point in Barn Bay and breaking my arm. And so, yeah, I think I made like maybe $7,000 or something. Like I was pretty close for my goal. But through that journey of gathering the money to pursue my dream, I really felt so happy and even breaking my arm and not making it to my goal, I still felt like I was already living my dream, even though it still wasn't there and I wasn't fully onto the next adventure. The adventure had already started as soon as I took that decision to say, you know, this is what I'm going to do. So, so yeah, so sorry, I'm really rambling, but I guess it's part of that podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's you're not rambling. You're just... Okay. Uh, Telling the story. It's good. You, you, okay. <laughs> awesome. So the, my roommate in Byron Bay was um, uh, an Ashtanga uh, uh, teacher. Ashtanga is a, 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 a branch of, of yoga. So he was practicing his yoga every morning. And me, I wasn't so much into yoga. Like I had tried Bikram yoga for first yoga class, which was absolutely um awful not offense to anyone who's doing Bikram yoga um but as a first class it's extremely challenging <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah I saw my roommate doing yoga every morning and he invited me to join him on the mat and that's when I discovered you know the benefits of yoga and and started to yeah just put it in my daily routine and so the first step for me after making those $7,000 in my broken arm and, uh, you know, y yoga as a, as a tool, I went to Bali, of course, and did my yoga uh -huh. teacher training there. Amazing. Uh, yes. Do you practice a little bit of yoga? Yeah, I practice yoga. I had a roommate, um actually in New Zealand as well who was a yoga instructor and um I kind of got into it there but never only taking classes not um you know just classes and personal practice but not like teaching or anything like that yeah yeah totally totally such a good practice and yeah so arriving on Bali uh doing that yoga teacher training at first I wanted to include it in my surf lesson you know like a warm-up type of thing oh, that's a good idea 
Yeah, I, you know, it was just like inventing moves before the yoga teacher training that I thought were yoga. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I'm just going to do the actual training to sort of know what I'm talking about, you know, when I do the warm up. And so I did that in Bali. Uh, and then I went back to France at that moment for three months. And I taught my first yoga class. It was in the pine forest in the southwest of France. And I remember there was like maybe, I don't know, 30 female like girls in the pine forest. It was like on a surf camp in the southwest of France. And I remember saying, inhale, raise your arms up. And everyone inhaled and rose their, arm, their arms up. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so sick. And then I was like, excel, you know, dive forward, bring your arms down. And everyone did so. And I discovered that yo teaching yoga, teaching movement and breath and mindfulness and was uh, something that was so natural for me, even though I didn't have, like, the best experience as a yogi just teaching movement was incredible and so I I put the volume down on the surf coaching and the volume up on the yoga teaching and that's where that whole wellness and and that that whole thing started for me that's awesome it is yeah. kind of like surfing kind of led you to that which is so interesting because I do feel like they definitely go hand in hand there's a lot of crossover in that. And so at this point, you're turning the volume up into yoga. And then where do you go from there? So I go back to Bali. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> Naturally, I go back to Bali because I'm still such like a, a young yogi. You know, I'm really, I don't have a lot of practice and I really want to, dive deeper into that so I go back to Bali my sister lives there uh, at that time so uh, I stay with her and I just dive into the whole yoga world if have you been to Bali I have not been to Bali it's um there's a place in the center of Bali it's called Ubud and it's really like a little spiritual like a, the capital of yoga let's say Indonesia don't want to offense anyone as well if anyone's like no it's like this capital in Indonesia <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I just go there and just do practices every day with um, you know leaders in the yoga world and and just teach as well and yeah build my practice as a teacher and as a yogi here which has been very very beautiful That's so great. And then, so, I guess, moving a little bit more forward, when did you kind of decide to do the wellness coaching as, like, a whole, as, like, a whole experience? Because now it seems like what you offer, I guess maybe just explain what you offer now, because for people who don't know what you're offering yeah. now, um, 
and then kind of how you got to that point. Because I think it's a very interesting kind of like culmination of everything. Yep. So I help people and uh, mainly women who feel emotionally lost and I guide them into a life that feels more expensive and more aligned. Um, so I do that with uh, private life coaching or uh, group coaching. I also lead retreats. I teach yoga and meditation. And uh, I've been doing that for a year and a half officially. Uh, I, pr- I, I, te- I work mainly online. So I have clients from all over the world. And there are people who are committed, who have... Um, Uh, the courage to grow and move forward in their lives because I think what keeps us stuck a lot of the time is um, that we're so scared of our own evolution and our own uh, growth. So, you know, very like on a more uh, solid fact, it can be uh, a person who's stuck in a relationship that really uh, doesn't feel right for her. Or, you know, someone who's been married and who actually, you know, sort of the eat, pray, love kind of. Um, have you seen that movie, Eat, Pray, Love? With Julia yeah. Roberts? Oh, my God. Yeah, I yeah. love that movie. So good. So someone who, you know, might be stuck in one of the situations where they realize they're not happy in their, in their marriage. Uh, maybe making decisions based on, making choices based on what our family uh wanted for us instead of us really knowing who we are and so we end up in those life that are actually someone else's dreams you know we wake up in someone else's dream so so yeah I've been doing that for a year and a half and I wanted to go deeper with people I'd been teaching yoga for almost six seven years and wanted to go deeper with people and support them and I was already coaching pretty much everyone around me so I was like all right now it's time to actually put a price on that service (laughs) and you know really really do it and offer it to a larger audience so yeah it's been good and what does that look like like if someone contacts you how does that um start or what does that look like yeah so we start um, with a clarity call. It's a 30-minute free call that I do with people just to see if we're the right match. And I also need to assess if the person is ready to move. Because um, as a coach, I cannot do the work for the person. You know, you can tell the person to gr- drink the green juice, but if she doesn't drink the green juice, then nothing happens so I need to assess as well if the person is really ready to help herself and also if we're the right match in the sense that it's a relationship that we're having and it's almost you know sort of an intimate relationship because we get to open ourselves up the the person that works with me really opens herself up to her own fears her own emotions her dreams what she wants out of life, limiting beliefs, maybe things that she lived in the past. So it's a really personal and vulnerable space. And 
I need to make sure as well that I feel safe in this relationship in the sense that I too get authentic with my clients because I'm a human and you know I open up on my story and what I have lived on the lessons that I've learned so I can support them so we start with this 30 minutes call and then from that from that assessment we work either for six months together or one year and um, it's five sessions or ten sessions and in between each sessions people have you know the option to give me a little call if something happens or stay in contact by email or whatsapp so we're always um, in connection during the time of the coaching and sometimes even a little bit after you know most of my clients become um, friends and people that I really appreciate and cherish so yeah it's good does that answer the question oh yeah definitely and and what do you what is the one of or maybe if you can say a couple of reasons that people are wanting a coach like what are those things that like common things that people come to you with yeah (sighs) many different things to be honest many different things but I think one is uh, I know I know that I'm not in the right relationship, mm-hmm. but there's so much doubt and uncertainty that I'm stuck. What do I do? Or there is I know I'm not in the right job. You know I'm depressed. I take antidepressant. Um, I'm really pretending. I wear a facade. I wear a mask that smiles. But deep inside, the flame inside of me is um, shutting down. It's dying. My soul is dying. But I don't know what I want to do. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to ever make something out of my life other than that situation that is known and comfortable. What if I fail? What if I, you know, cannot make enough money, finish on the pavement and die? It's, you know, the type of thing that we tell ourselves, like it's those kind of fears that, that go through our minds. So we respond to that fear and we stay in that comfort. So there's that, there's the professional situation. And there's also the... I can't communicate, you know, I, I, I don't know that I have emotions. I can't decode my emotions. So I put my own negative emotions on the partner, on my friends, on my coworker. And I, I don't know what's going on. How, how do I do? How, how do I express my authentic voice? How do I communicate my emotions? So yeah, I think the, the main work that I do is really about understanding emotions, understanding how a human being function and helping myself and, of course, others to break the patterns that are limiting and that are keeping us in a life that is filled up with fear instead of a life that is filled up with love and happiness and uh, abundance 
And um, because you're spending so much time talking to other people about kind of helping them to guide their lives, what are you, how do you uh, figure out how to guide your own life? (laughs) (laughs) Really good question, Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Let me, let me have a thing for this one. Okay. <laughs> I think um, the because first... I, I, would yeah. Im- I would imagine, just, yep. I'll, I'll just speak for a second, so you, I guess so you can think about it, but I would imagine that in order to help to guide other people, yeah. um, you know, they trust you and your, they look up to you or admire the way that you're living your life. So I would imagine that you have to, you know, do some certain things to keep yourself going on a path that seems right to yourself. Yeah. So how do I do that? Yeah. Yes. Such a good question. So having a little think, the first one um, is that, can you hear a little bit of music, or is that okay? Maybe I can't really hear any any of that. I can just hear okay, your voice. Right. Yeah. Perfect. So the first thing is, I think, having been being a young traveler and traveling on my own from a young age, having been in situations that are sometimes, you know. Uh, not dramatic, but where it's like, what the fuck, you know, where am I going to sleep tonight? Uh, I don't have any money. How am I going to find work? Or those situations where you're on your own and you have to, um, you have to find a solution. And having that experience at a young age and cultivating that, which is being out of my comfort zone and adventuring, it has shown me that uh, I can trust life. I can really, really trust life. There is a greater force in this universe that helps me out on my journey. And that's, uh, I think, where, you know, my power, let's say, as a coach uh, resides. Like the, the center point is I have an immense trust in life which sometimes people lose and especially I'm I'm not so familiar with the US but especially in Europe we have lost uh, a lot of us our connection with the divine because of religion and a lot of uh, wars and so you know everything that is you know God or the universe it's like woo woo it's like dangerous you know it's like a, a sect but really, if you don't think that you're in this universe and that you're supported to uh, in your journey, then you don't do anything. You know, you stay in fearland because comfort is, you know, all there is. So the gift of traveling, whether we're adults or young, is the one that has taught me on a visceral point, not just in my head, but that I can trust life. And life only asks me one thing. Or that first step is, how am I feeling? Am I being honest with how am I, I am feeling? 
and coming back to the start of that conversation, you know, making those choice just based on that internal compass, that GPS that can ne never leave you, that is always there and that guides you. So, yeah, so that's, you know, trust and, and also maybe courage because fuck, it is scary. It is so scary <laughs> to make those steps in the, in the, in the unknown and it, it requires courage and bravery to say, you know what, I'm just going to do that. Uh, it's, it's so scary, but I'm going to do that. And, and that's how I guide people. I say, hey, you know, it's been painful. It's been, it's been difficult. But look, look where I'm, I'm at now in my life. And, and, you know, you can do it too. So to just circle back, mm -hmm. um, how do you find that surfing fits into your life I mean I know we talked about your whole entire journey but it does kind of seem to me that surfing is kind of what led you to yoga and then yoga yes. led you to this like wellness coaching so how does surfing still st is it still a part of your life now how does that how are you involved in surfing now yeah love it so still surfing uh actually in sri lanka right now because the waves are freaking good here mom you need to get your butt here it's so so good um, and how long are you there for i'm here for two weeks oh great, great. so nice so still involved in surfing uh i run also yoga and surf event in france with a good friend of mine who's got a opener surf school in southwest of france and um yeah surfing and life it's like a full essay hey but <laughs> really i think first it's that connection to nature which fuck like i'm you know sometimes i feel like the surf culture can so forget that our the importance of connecting with nature and you know I see that here I feel like there is not so much of that here with the the some people that are here it's some tourists that might be maybe just uh focus on to how surfing looks on Instagram and not so much about you know really enjoying the environment so yeah I think that's so so important that connection with nature and also that you're we're just a, a passenger of a wave and we don't know how long this wave is going to last. We don't know if we're going to fall. Um, we don't know if it's going to speed up at some time, at some stage, or if it's going to, uh, you know, slow down. And our only job as surfers isn't to, you know, control that wave is to observe it and to dance with it, to see its timing and how it how it forms, and and to enjoy it because it's not gonna last for long, and it's never gonna be that wave again. It's unique, so yeah. But really, that's just one little little part of the puzzle of how we can relate life to surfing. <laughs> it's just been an incredible teacher and. I'm so grateful that I get to surf 
I'm so grateful that I get to connect with people in that element, to play, to smile to each other, to party waves, um, and to experience community. Of course, it's not just play and fun. Sometimes it's like, ah, piss off, like you've just called my wave, you know, and and to experience all those ranges of emotions and to say, you know, we're not all perfect. We got to say sorry and and thank you and forgive me and it's all part of the game. Absolutely. And how do you um, fit in like time to actually go surfing? Like how it, do you like not when you're on vacation, obviously, but in your kind of day to day, are you finding time to fit in to get waves or is your schedule flexible enough that if there's waves you can go, how does that work for you? Yeah, I'm so happy that my uh, agenda is very much flexible. So I, <laughs> I check the forecast and I go, all right, so this year, I'm not going to take any appointment. You know, I can only take you on Tuesday afternoon because Tuesday morning is freaking pumping. <laughs> and yeah, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, very happy. How about you? Does, can, you, can, you do, can you do that a little bit? I can do that a little bit. Um, it really just depends on... Uh, the day and the timing but yeah I can I I have a more flexible job as well so that that's I'm lucky for that I I feel like I've mentioned I mentioned this in a a couple episodes ago but I have this theory that people that are really into the deep heart of surfing they all find themselves in careers that are flexible so that they can surf (laughs) whether it's yeah you know Taking a job that you get up either really, really early or you work really, really late so you have half of the day or I think there's a lot of like sales reps that surf because that's, you can kind of, like you said, take appointments and and have that flexibility. Um, I think it just kind of goes along with that freedom. A lot of entrepreneurs are surfers as well. Um, yeah, I have that. That's true. That, that's um, true theory (laughs) there's something about the um, freedom you know that that is kind of at the core of surf culture I believe yeah and also um I remember being in Sydney and I don't know I think we ended up in the same taxi as a like some kind of businessman, you know, he was wearing like a proper suit, like obviously was going into like a proper job, you know, if you get me Mm -hmm. in that word proper. Um, Yeah. And he he just finished work and he was about to go for surf. And he said, I do that every day. I finish at five, you know, and then I go surfing. And also, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes... I feel like it's good to not think about the surf too much, how it is. It's like, all right, today I'm just going to get in the ocean. It might not be the best, you know, but this is when I finished. And I'm not going to make a fuss about it. Yeah, it's not going to be the perfect condition. Yeah, it's better tomorrow. Yeah, it was better yesterday, but today is the day. And this is when I have my free time. And I'm just going to enjoy what it is, even though it's crappy. That comes with practice, I feel, because sometimes we can be very picky with, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, that's not good enough. <laughs> Don't you reckon? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I um Yeah. Surfing the lake kicked kicked me of the habit. Um I, yeah. I will I will occasionally check the forecast, but mostly um yeah. I'm very fortunate to live pretty close. So basically if there's a wave, I'm out there most if I can, you know, and um yeah, it, it definitely kicked me of that habit. I had a um actually my boss in uh in Raglan was like a businessy guy and he surfed every morning. He would wake up five thirty drive to either Whale Bay or Manu Bay, have a surf, almost no matter the conditions, um, and then would get into his businessy clothes and head into the city and work and then come home. And um, if it was, if there was enough light out when he came back, he would, you know, hang out with his kids for a little bit and then go for another surf. And uh, I thought that was really interesting to see... um, someone like that because I think there's a I don't want to say a misconception but there's this idealized version of a surfer and when you see someone who's a business person it kind of goes outside of that idea yeah yep totally totally and also to go you know maybe tomorrow I might not be here anymore I might not be alive so I'm just gonna go for a surf today because today I have the chance to be alive and I'm just going to enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can so you, can you hear me well? Yeah. Yeah. There's, awesome. um, there's still, there's some noise behind you, but it's not too loud or anything. Oh yeah. It's some kind of backpacker. It's really nice. Actually. Really You're, are really you in nice. a hostel? Yeah, can I make a little bit of a of an advertisement on the show? Oh, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, sure. Man, it's called Hilltop Cabanas. It's in uh, close to Oregon Bay. You guys need to check them out on um, on Instagram. It's really the best spot. There's like uh, they don't use plastic bottles. They have purified water, which is so needed in Sri Lanka. They do, um, yeah, they do amazing thing. It's just the most beautiful little spot with cabanas, like next to the ocean. There's a soft spot at the front. There's yoga, just beautiful and mindful. Love it. Check it out. That's so cool. So do you, yeah. when you travel for surf, do you bring your boards or do you just rent boards? Oh, my God, I bring my board. <laughs> you do? <laughs> I do. It's a 9.6. <gasps> okay. You travel with a 9.6. I know, and I'm traveling solo for that one, so it's been a mission, but... Oh, my gosh. Uh, you, build, you build stronger arms, you know, which is always always good for the paddle. <laughs> and yeah. what's your 9.6? Uh, it's um, a Bing from California, and oh, yes. the model, yeah, it's a California Square. Best board I've had so far. And do you surf with a leash, or are you a leashless person? Oh my god, do you want people to hate me? <laughs> <laughs> I actually do not wear a leg rope. I had a feeling. Yeah. I- I feel like you're that kind of person. I don't think that's bad. 
I, I don't think that's bad as long as, you know, I feel like people that surf without a leash most of the time have a yeah. pretty good handle on their board. So it's not that much of a danger. Yeah, I'm I'm a person that believes that we both points of view are extremely valid. So wearing a leash yeah. is as valid in that point of view, you know, and I don't want to go against, you know, wearing a leash. Yeah, we shouldn't be wearing leashes or whatever. But for me, I, I make the choice of not wearing one because uh, I have an incredible control over my surfboard. Uh-huh. Uh, like, it's for me, it's very important to have that control instead of having a leash and then just letting your board go. Because when you think about it, you know, the leg rope is couple of meters and then the board is a couple of meters so you get like a full diameter that is potentially dangerous for people that are around us so I think uh -huh. teaching people it would almost be nice to teach people like to not wear a leash you know from like a very very um uh like the first step of your of of, of your your uh, learning surfing because then you would be in more control of your board there's probably gonna be less accident if we do that I don't know what do you reckon I don't know. I think maybe for a longboard. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure. I would say. Yeah, true. I, on a shortboard, I, I definitely wear a leg rope. Yeah. I think for a long, I've never, I've never gone leashless. Maybe, yeah. I'll have to try it. Um, I know yeah. that I'm still, I still consider myself to be new at surfing compared to most people. I mean, I've been doing it for seven years now, six or seven years, but I still, um, you know, especially with longboarding, I just got only in the last couple of years, I got into it. Um, but I think with a short board and, and with a, even with a longboard, when you're learning, you just don't, have control like you said over your board and I think um to have that extra security it helps people but I can also see where um like you said it, it might be nice to have people learn how to control that because I do see people just bailing and then their board is like launched yeah. out, you know and it can hit someone yeah let it go because they have their leash attached to them so I don't know I think I agree with you that both points are valid but um I think uh it's something I might have to try to pick up and learn I think it's a cool thing to see people yeah riding. I think because not that many people do it when you see someone riding it without a leash it's kind of like whoa it's cool yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's an awesome question as well because it's definitely a huge debate in the surfing world. So, uh, yeah, I get different opinion and point of view on that. And what's your ideal wave? Like, do you like a beach break? Do you like a point break? What's your, like... Ooh, I feel like you're asking me, like, what's your favorite meal? You know, I get all excited about yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so in my dream, my dream wave is like a, a wave that is maybe two to three foot, so not mm -hmm. not so big, maybe three foot, and it's it's not like a fat wave. It's a little bit steep. Um, it's got it's got a little bit of wool, you know, to it. 
it's not so fast as well and it's a long wave of course and it has it has different things to it so maybe at some stage it does slow down you know and you can do like a big cut back and and come back and then it like speeds up you know for a long time and then again you know something else or yeah those kind of waves with different different uh rhythms and texture and i think uh in java there is this kind of wave and also here in sri lanka some some waves are a little bit like that which i'm really enjoying and um what is the weirdest wave you've ever surfed <laughs> the weirdest wave i've ever surfed oh my god top of my head like this mm. oh, i don't know i'm really trying to think but there's, suddenly there's like so many travels and countries and like different times <laughs> Um I think Yeah. Oh, I think I'm going to have to skip that question. I just don't have the the answer oh, for it right now. <laughs> Do I have to? No, we can skip it. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it would take probably several minutes for me to actually come up with something. But No, that's fine. Yeah. I have another I, okay. I always ask these two questions oh, for everybody. Weirdest wave. That's okay. And then the other one, and I feel like this one's a little bit easier maybe for people, is um, what is your, what was your like, oh shit moment, like while surfing, like when you were in danger and you kind of had that, oh my gosh, things are going south really fast. Yeah, probably breaking my right arm. Oh, yeah. Surf. <laughs> so you gotta break that down what so happened? I'm paddling out on my longboard and I'm no, I don't have a leash yeah so I think that's probably like what the one time where it was like uh, not so good and all the people that are you know pro leash they're gonna be like ha 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 we told you so <laughs> I can hear them so I'm paddling out and it's at the pass in Barn Bay pretty big swell and you know I do like a kind of cobra because a whitewash is coming towards me do you know mm -hmm. how you do that to just pass on pass over yeah. a wave when you're on a longboard and yep. my right hand slips off the board and with the power of the wave the longboard just comes back to my arm um my upper arm and there is only one bone here which is the humerus and it just really like hit my arm so strong that i fall in the water and with my left hand i'm looking for my right arm in the water and i can't find it because because it's a clear break, that humerus is broken oh, in God. two parts. Yeah, so my my right arm is like behind my head, you know? <laughs> like, it's very weird. Oh so my I God. pick up my arm and my, my board is gone. So I'm just kicking with my feet to stare at the surface. And there is big waves coming through and I'm screaming out. And so you know we're like 500 meters from the shore and it's probably like a 20 minutes rescue mission for me to get back to the shore 
people just trying to put me on board and then I get ejected from the board. And I remember just uh, having to hold my right arm to dive under a wave. I can't touch the bottom. The, the water is pretty uh, murky because it's, you know, it's been like a big swell. Mm-hmm. And so right now I'm thinking if you panic and if you pass out, you're going to drown and never oh gonna, you're going to die. And it's just that thought that tells me now, you know, I'm under a wave and I'm like, kick your feet, look at the, the surface and don't panic and don't freaking pass out. And I think not pan- panicking has been just what really saved me and got me to shore. And yeah, so that was a pretty freaking out moment. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So then... What happened when you got, once you got to shore, what happened? Once I got to shore, I was very set on uh, getting to the hospital. So I didn't want the ambulance to come and pick me up. I was like, I'm just going to walk, you know. And my friends were like, all right, I knew, like, you really need to sit down and just chill because you get a major accident here. And I don't know what's happening with my arm because it's under my beautiful wetsuit, which we had to tear up, unfortunately. Um, but I, I don't know if there's blood. I don't know what's going on, you know. So I'm, I'm very, very worried. And then, you know, they call the ambulance. The ambulance kept come and they gave me that green whistle, which if anyone from Australia, I don't know if they probably have it in the U.S. as well, but, like, they give you this thing that... Um, makes the pain go away and so you feel like pretty stone and high and just happy you know <laughs> and I'm just like really like having that green whistle and my friends are with me so they have some of the green whistle and we're just there like standing on the beach like just having a laugh you know with the ambulance people who are trying to figure out what to do with me and and then and then they take me to the hospital and they they didn't do surgery, which I was very grateful for. They just did like a, some kind of new technique to um, to help my arm um, rebuild, to help the bone rebuild. And it took three months for that injury to completely heal. And it was my right arm, and I'm right-handed. So, oh my god! Yeah. So did you it. work? No, that's that's where I had to drop the. Um, the work and I only reached my seven thousand oh yeah uh, dollar goal so I had to stop working and yeah but I had to stop surfing um which actually was good for three months to not surf and maybe discover myself in new ways I feel like sometimes we can get very attached to I am a surfer this is what I do you know so doing different things and painting and art with my left hand was interesting and and a good discovery for myself as well and yeah maybe that's also linked to the weirdest wave that I ever caught I Uh, would say (laughs) well because when they took the cast off have you ever had a cast on no I have not Oh my god, lucky you touching some wood, lady. <laughs> I've well, bones. I've just never yeah. had a cast, you know? Oh, that's good. That's good. Lucky <laughs> you. 
So I took that cast off and my right arm was the skinniest thing. It was like a bone with skin on. Oh, man. And so, oh, my God, there's like, um, what are they called? What are they called? Oh, there's like a big, big um, uh, uh, insect right next to me as I was talking. Sri Lanka is full of insects. <laughs> so anyway, back to that conversation, sorry. My red arm was like a bone with skin on it. And I had to uh, catch my first wave with that new arm. So I just paddle and surf with one arm because my arm had my red arm had no, no, um, no muscle in it. And it will always be like good memories, you know, for me after three months of not surfing and surfing with that skinny arm. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that's like my, my weirdest surf, you know. That's that's a pretty weird surf. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are the what are the new or the new projects or what's kind of like next for you? I know you started a podcast. Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. Hey, really, really appreciate it. Um, well, started a new podcast and it talks always about the same subjects that I'm passionate about, which is, you know, how to live a life that is really rich and, and fully lived. And I run retreats a little bit everywhere in the world. There's been France and Portugal and Bali is next. So, you know, if you want to join one of those events, you can go on my website, and, which is my name full name dot com okay so yeah here are the projects and well thank you so much for uh talking to me for an hour <laughs> babe it's been incredible been so i've enjoyed our so no that's how good that conversation was just really natural and fluid and Thank you so much for everything that you do, and it's been a real pleasure. Oh, good, good. Yeah, it's 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 so nice to catch up too. I mean, it's it's been kind of fun. I've interviewed a couple of people that I met traveling, and it's it's just really nice to see where everybody's ended up. You know? Yeah, awesome, awesome. And if you ever come around France, you know, you, your husband, you're so more than welcome to come and come and see me. Uh, thanks thanks and you too if you make it to the states i mean surfing the it's not like california but it's it's a pretty good spot here it's pretty cool awesome i'll let you know so that was episode 10 i really hope that you enjoyed it we are just having such a great time doing this podcast and i just want to say that i really appreciated everyone that's tuned in this far i can't believe we've already made 10 episodes and it just feels like keeps getting more and more interesting. So we spent the weekend up in um, Lake Superior visiting Surfer Dan. Uh, Jacob Kaufman donated a lot of wetsuits. So thank you so much to him. We were able to bring those up to Surfer Dan to help him when he's teaching um, people how to surf. So we're still collecting any wetsuits or any boards or anything like that to bring up to Surfer Dan. So if you have anything that you'd like to donate to us, you can um, give us a shout out on Instagram or send us an email at theweirdwavespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much guys for tuning in and we will see you next week.